When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. <sighs> Welcome to another episode of Best Ball Bros, where we're here to celebrate with the mock draft champion of the world, NFL wizard, Josh Norris. Hope everybody brought some bubbly to enjoy this. Uh, I guess this is almost like a happy hour. We're celebrating Josh Norris. Don't look at his mock draft from this year. Look at last year. We're celebrating Josh Norris and maybe getting to know Josh a little bit better today. Best Ball Bros, let's have some fun. Save this. I save this background for anybody watching on YouTube. We got uh, this is Josh grinding. This is Josh grinding the tape. Someone so, made a uh, hilarious comment that it looks like I'm drinking a carton of chicken stock. <laughs> Cheers. It does. It kind of. <laughs> it kind of does. But um, yeah, this is such a good. This makes me feel like I'm in the in the room with you. Like I guess it, it's kind of awkward because I see you on my screen and, right. and behind me. But um, so first question, before we get into anything, the thing that I ask every single person on the show, in your fantasy sports career, what is the absolute worst like player take you've had? Oh. Someone, so, someone, someone you've you've recommended to the people, even if it was a long time ago. Yeah. What's the worst? What's the worst take? Um, I mean, if I can link like draft stuff to fantasy stuff, is that OK? Yeah, run I had a, whatever, I, whatever works. I had, I mean, there's a lot of them. I had a Keen <laughs> Butler as wide receiver one that year. Oh, bad. baby. That's a good one. I like that. Um one. I think I I, I might have had Josh Rosen as quarterback one in his class too. Oof. And that was, you know, Lamar. That was Josh Allen. That was Baker and Sam. Mm. Um, in fact, that draft season i was on it's like one of my few appearances on good morning football and they haven't asked me back since so <laughs> i wouldn't either if 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 i was them um was k on the show back oh then? yeah so k, hey, so k, k and i have a, a long history um he's a st louis gal yes, i don't know her i don't know her personally but my wife um through through a friend knows 
knows Kay. So, so my start at NBC, uh, first I was a freelancer and I was working, you know, ungodly hours because <laughs> I turned their college football section into an NFL draft section and was okay. really a one man band doing all the news and all the write-ups and all that type of stuff for Roto World. And just, you know, again, working just crazy hours. And then mm -hmm. at the time, my manager found my reel from college uh, <laughs> at Elon. And they had just opened these massive new studios uh, in Stanford, Connecticut. And they're like, we, we don't have any digital video. Why don't you come up here and, and start doing that? And the digital host was Kay Adams. So oh, Kay wow. and I, um, for a year, a year and a half, would do a video once a week in those studios. And Eric, I was, can I curse on the show? Absolutely. I was so fucking bad. I mean, <laughs> so bad. And like part of me wishes that those videos were still in existence. Yeah. But I'm so glad that they're not. Maybe it was in case contract that they got deleted. Yeah, Kay I, probably got them deleted. They wouldn't I be would, they, they wouldn't be gone if it weren't for her, probably with where I she was is now. So bad. Like it was to the point because when you start doing on camera stuff, at least in like a studio and television and all that jazz, you want to like write a script in your head and like <laughs> memorize it word for word and repeat it over and over. And so I was a robot, you know? Yeah. Yep. And so I would, <laughs> I would just not listen to what she was saying, have this thing in my head, go on for a minute and like throw it back to her. And she's like the absolute best at, uh, you know, making things fun, mm -hmm. making things light. Uh, and also like being able to have a conversation with anyone just about anything. And so she didn't have a really good relationship, but man, I wish I was good back then because I think my career would be a little bit different during my final years at NBC. Let's put it that yeah. way. If I, if I wasn't completely face planning at 24 years old, when they put me on camera for the first time. I mean, I can't imagine honestly what, what that was like because literally not that long, not that many years ago. So I'm 33, not that many years Same. ago, I was just starting to do like streams like this, sitting in my yeah. office at my desk. And I mean, I don't even think I'm good now, but then it was like, like you said, you, you're like practicing things. Dude, you, I had no like, idea. You, you have no, you have absolutely no idea. And you come to realize that like eventually is like none of that shit matters. Just talk and have fun. And like, right. you know, right. That's, that's the important part. But I, I was so lost doing it. Just like I said, just sitting here, like doing a Roto Grinders, like stream or whatever, right. Live show or whatever um so clueless so nervous was yeah. so bad that i can't fathom that like at the level that you were doing it at in a studio nbc right and that's like that on steroids the point where i figured out that i could finally be comfortable on camera was well in that same year they put me on live television so i went in and that was back in the days of pro football talk on afternoon shows and it was uh -huh. hosted by eric casilius Okay. Mike Florio and Sean King, the old Bucks quarterback. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. This was way back. This was way yeah. back. These and are my so, days. These, this is my favorite time. Uh, the, the, those right. days. Yeah. I'm the same age as you, by the way. We're yeah. the exact same age. And they brought me in for, cause I was just doing, you know, just grinding draft prospects and I worked in the right. office and all that type of stuff. And um, they take me in for an audition and I do like one segment and it's awful so bad it's awful i do the exact same thing and the next day they're like oh we're gonna put you on live television <laughs> and 
it was only at times, sometimes literally I'd step on camera for a minute and that was it. Like I remember when Vic Beasley was going through his pro days and all that stuff, I'd be come on and be like, oh, he did this, this, and this, and this is his projection. And then I just walk off and then that was it. Um, <laughs> but to answer your, the question I posed for myself here, I, I was so nervous again to repeat exactly what I had like prepared and like the points I wanted to make that I thought were well thought out that there was one time when I just forgot what I was going to say. And it felt like there was going to be a huge five second pause and that it was just going to bomb. And then I went back and realized that that five second pause and then starting up again was just really natural. And it's what we all do in like normal conversation. Right. Right. And so like just listening to someone else, because you do all the work anyways, just listening to someone else and then responding to what they say. That's what, that's what's natural. That's like, that's what, wins in television and it's not just you know these pre-rehearsed monologues that I've, i'm known to give but pre-rehearsed monologues that people do on television so yeah it's so funny it's so funny you say that because it took me so long to figure that part out to just like um eventually they just started putting me on shows with people that were way 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 better at that than i was like um i don't know if you played dfs but like head chopper one of the mm-hmm. DFS like legends or whatever. He he's really smart. He's won multiple millions of dollars in DFS, but he like will play the host role because he's so incredibly good at sitting and listening to people and and creating that conversation. The the hosting thing. He also obviously is very good at DFS. And eventually, you just start to pick up like I'm. Let's, we're just me and it's just me and Headshot are hanging out for a half hour. Right. Right. Is what it becomes. And that's what all this has become. I mean, I'm selfishly, that's why I'm having this show because I get to have just hang out with, you know, people like you for, for 45 minutes to an hour once a week. But then I don't know if you went through this. Then it was when I started the spike week stuff, it was just me. Yeah. All solo streams. Anything that was pre-recorded was all me solo pre-recording it. The amount of time I wasted doing that thing that you talked about going through my head of like, okay, here's this well thought out thing. Right. First video I did was about Trey Lance and the 49ers. So really you want to talk about reels and bad reels. The first best ball video I ever did was touting a guy who didn't play in his first season, but I probably recorded that thing like seven or eight times because you just screw up and you think you have this picture of perfection in your head and it's only you, you know, so you don't even know if it sounds good. That whole, that whole thing about this space is like, it's a lot harder than people than than people think. You don't like you can't just like show up and be good at it. Like I said, I don't even think I'm good at it now. But I mean, when I first started, I was it was useless me being on the air. It helped me a lot doing that in college. Um, I was doing like a ton of student media stuff. We showed them on the end of our NFL draft stream, which was pretty hilarious. We got some good yes. comments off those. Um, and you know, like the first five things that you do absolutely suck. The tenth one is awful. The fifteenth one is bad. But like you just get better from each one, and you're like. You, you learn like what feels good and what works and what doesn't. And it's all through trial and error. That that's, that's the entire thing. So yeah, my, my first professional podcast, quote unquote, was something called shout out to anyone in the chat that might know this process, the process. And this was like just a solo know. journey. I mean, that okay. was, this was pre serial, you know, like when you think of podcasts, it's like NPR wow. serial, then everything yeah. after that. And this was before. <laughs> and, um, I would, it was very NPR style, to be honest with you, because I was listening to a lot of NPR shows because, you know, I was just a well-educated 26-year-old. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, that, that was just all individual stuff. I mean, I'd, I'd have interviews and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, even the podcast thing, that's to me really a, a good way of getting into all of this 
Um, maybe not now because everyone has a podcast, but back then, uh, because you could just do it yourself, you know, like even seven years ago, you'd have to have a studio to do online video, basically. Like there was no yep. real easy way of doing that. Now you have phones, you can do StreamYard and phones, anything like that. But we all can edit audio. It takes just a little bit of time to learn and there's a microphone everywhere, right? And yep. so just going from from that to, to doing all this stuff now, it, it's pretty amazing how quickly it grows. And I was even talking to a college class last week um, and what I've graduated 10 years, 11 years, 11 years ago. I mean, my final year in college, we were still digesting everything that was shot on camera through physical tapes, yeah. like the actual roles and everything. And that was a decade ago. And now they can do literally every single thing they want to do just with their cell phone. It's pretty crazy. It, it was it was legendary game changing technology when I was in college. Um, you know, the software huddle, H-U-D-L. Yeah, 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 yeah. That came out when I was in college. And it was like, that's what everyone was making the move to. When I, before that, it was literally, when I was in high school, we'd show up to, we'd show up to Saturday mornings after the, you know, we played high school football on Friday nights. We show up Saturday mornings and the coach would roll in with the VHS and roll the, you know, AV set. And like, I'm like, this was, this was, I graduated, you know, we got, I, we graduated in, in 2006. I'm, yeah. I'm not, it's not, this is, we're not talking about the eighties. We're talking, this is still in the two thousands and we're rolling out the fricking tube TV on the cart to watch, oh. you know, film. And stuff. wasn't it the it greatest thing though? Like oh, when you had, when, when you had a, uh, substitute teacher and they just pull in the big <laughs> monitor on on the rolling thing and then also the overhead projectors i was going to coaching clinics you know back in 20 let's say 2015 and you know those coaches are so old school that they were still using the overhead projectors and putting them off the wall and using yep. the markers and all that type of stuff with, so with the, some things the clear, never like change the, the translucent sheets yes. of paper or whatever <laughs> that you yeah <laughs> yes. oh man yeah those those are the good old days my dad uh, lifelong high school football coach. That's how I got into, into football when I was really little. So yeah, I've been to all of those. Yeah. All the same chalk that he wrote on the chalkboard when I was yeah. in high school, he coached me and he, he would get into halftime and he'd write in chalk on the chalkboard. And like, if you talk to a kid nowadays, like, what the, what is, what is chalk? I don't even know. I don't even know what that, you know, what, what that means. So it's funny. It's so funny. Those, those days, but it like, I feel like it just, it shaped me for sure, but almost this like whole industry, everybody, we all come from like kind of that, yeah. that, that generation, you know what I mean? And it's like a foundation of, we do still know what it's like. Like we like to make fun of, you know, the old football bros and stuff, but we do still kind of know what it's like uh, before like this game and technology and everything totally transformed. I mean, I remember a group of now online friends and I've met some of them in real life. But they, I think they came from a message board called like Football Future or Football's Future or something like that. But it was like the Eric Stoners, the Andrew Parsons, the Matt, Matt Harmon. Mm. Matt Harmon was in that group. Charles was in wow. that group. Justice, all that stuff. And so it, it's, it is pretty amazing to see so many of us, you know, cultivate an actual career in, uh, in sports stuff. So it's online wild. friends are like a real thing, aren't they, Eric? Like I, I, I try I'm, to explain I don't have real this life to, I know I to like normal, to yeah. normal people, well-adjusted people who <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, my, my friend, they're like, oh, when have you met? Never. Literally <laughs> Just, never. I've yeah. spoken to them for seven years and never met them. <laughs> but that that's like, to me, what the senior bowl and the combine and all this stuff is, is good for is meeting online friends and see if you actually, you know, kick it in real life. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for um, anybody 
that is that is listening i'm hoping to do to kind of start doing a little of of in in person type events and stuff around this space i mean we'll get into the best ball stuff later i promise um you guys get to hear us talk about that every day of the week so like i said we'll get into to more of that but i mean with the contests and everything and the community that's 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 going on around best ball and, and fantasy football obviously it's so crazy but like you said we don't have any of that in in person element yeah. Um, and I, I think, I think that's something that I want to try to try to tackle a little bit, a little bit too. I don't know about well, this. Maybe not we'll, like the playboy we'll mansion. Maybe not the yeah. playboy mansion. Yeah. We don't have to go full DFS bro, uh, <laughs> with this. Yeah. Playboy mansion live finals and all that. I think that's a little excessive. Also, a little outdated, probably, I think. <laughs> also, if anyone has ever been to any of these live finals, there could not be a worse place to put a 200 loser nerds who never leave their computer. <laughs> Like, like I, I've been lucky enough to make a, quite a, quite a few live finals, and I love a lot of these guys that I've met there. There's tons of awesome people, but like, it, 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 you know, it's not exactly like the social skills are not. You know, we're not like crushing it uh, in terms of uh, those people. And I don't imagine that best ball is really really that that much different. Like we we get enjoyment out of drafting fantasy football teams on May second, right? You know, so um, so before we get into some of that best ball and fantasy football stuff. How did you get from the days of starting your own kind of podcast, the days of grinding the college football stuff for NBC, a little bit of media into the Roto World gig and kind of what started to really become your career? I've told this story before, so I apologize to people who've already heard it. But going into my senior year, I interned with the then St. Louis Rams in their scouting department. It was kind of like a Truman Show moment where I already had an internship lined up with Fox Sports Radio um, in Los Angeles. And it was just like one that I randomly applied to in this bank of internships. And yep. I was going there to basically cut the audio that they would use in like their one minute sports updates at the top of every hour. Uh-huh. Rip, riveting stuff. Riveting yeah. stuff there. But <laughs> I was walking like just around campus the day after you know school ended. And I got this email that said, this is an internship only for Elon students. There's an opening in the scouting department for the Rams and apply it and it was just a mass mass email and i was like who the heck is more qualified than me for this because yep. that's all i had been doing for like student media stuff and yep. on my own and make mock and all that jazz you know and so i got it i got it and uh so i showed up to earth city missouri uh, at the start of training camp this was sam bradford's rookie year uh, oh, 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 I was probably there when you were there. There you go. At that time, I went. I went out to Earth City a lot back then. James Laurinaitis. Yep. Um, they. It was Jason Smith's second Jason's, season. I, I was there. I, I'm. I'm sorry to interrupt. I was there. So I, I was a diehard St. Louis Rams fan. Like absolute. Yeah, it was awful. Um, I'm glad you're bringing this up again for me to relive it. But uh, you know, they obviously have the greatest show on turf, which was like three of the greatest oh, yeah. years of my football life. And then, and then. It seems like it's turning around with Bradford, right? Get number one overall pick, you get Sam Bradford draft, which was obviously a stone disaster. What, AJ we don't even... Neely was the starter too, but Bradford just outplayed yeah. him in training camp. Correct. Um, yeah. Don't give me into sleeves. Sleeves. Sam Brad. Sammy sleeves is uh, is is Bradford. Uh, that's where Kirk Cousins learned. learned who, who was the? So ball. it was Danny Amendola, something Gibson. Was the other wide receiver? Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Yes. How am I gonna forget those days of? Um, they were they were like last year's Detroit Lions of best ball, right. where like it would like 
And it was Steven Jackson in the backfield, but I don't remember yeah. who who the other one Steven Jackson was a first-round pick in fantasy, and yeah. no one took drafted any of the wide receivers. That's how bad yeah. the offense was. It was real bad. <laughs> it was it was so bad. I, I'm going to forget. So my favorite time was – well, favorite, um, I guess, could be phrased different ways. But it was so bad, right? The, the wide receiver room was so bad that they they mortgaged the future for Tavon to, to move up to draft Tavon Austin, right? Like how much will we laugh if somebody Brandon Gibson? the future? Brandon Gibson. Brand- oh my God. I can buy you his rookie card if you want right now. I, I think I'll pass. <laughs> Thank you though. Um, it'd just be a reminder of a miserable like 10 years of my life. And this dude was playing, getting targeted. Oh yeah. Um, Heavily. By the Rams. But anyway, what I was going to just so you can get back to it. What I was, Jason Smith, the Jason Smith thing is one of the craziest in practice his first practice, so I used to go to uh, open training camp and stuff. His first, pra- which is a shithole, by the way, Earth, Earth City. <laughs> I oh, lived across yeah. the street in a hotel that just had what? What was I the, probably what know was the, the hotel. pizza chain that just only had like square slices? Yeah, um, and that was it. It was a <laughs> gas station and that pizza place. Yes, and there's this a moto before Uber or Uber mm-hmm. Eats or DoorDash or any of that stuff. And so I basically just ate pizza and whatever they served at the. <laughs> the, the training camp facility for the entire summer and gain 20 pounds. Not joking. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that you do. That's what, if anybody ever gets a chance to come through, uh, which that, that actually used to be get fairly popular going, going to the training camp, but earth city is basically some corporate buildings, which is what the Rams uh, facility was a couple of gas stations. Yeah. And I think that there's two restaurants. I think there's a yep. McDonald's and, uh, yep. and that. So anyway, Really high quality stuff for the Rams. They draft Jason Smith, right? Things are turning around. We got the franchise left tackle, got Bradford. Like you said, got Laronitis at the top of the second round. Everybody's excited. I go to practice in the first day. Everybody else is running like team drills. The offensive line coach is working with Jason Smith on how to get into a three point stance. Coming because out of he did, because he because he played at Baylor and they ran they they, they obviously ran you know four old this is old school Baylor, not new school Baylor. Um, you know, like the 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 Corey Coleman days of Baylor. And uh, he didn't, he, he like couldn't do, he couldn't put his hand in the dirt. He's supposed to be the franchise left. I'll tackle, tell you this. Second overall. The, and he, he couldn't put his hand down. One of the first things I was told was that they immediately knew that first year that Jason Smith could not play left tackle after being <laughs> the number two overall pick. And so they took Roger Saffold at the start of the second round the year after to play left tackle, then yep. move Jason Smith out to the right side. Yep. Um, anyways. So, so yeah. what I did with the Rams just quickly was with them during training camp. One of my main jobs was to pick up players that were coming in for, for tryouts or workouts or veterans or undrafted guys okay. and all that type of stuff. And then that also meant, you know, when they got cut, taking them to the airport immediately. And so I was just driving the van. I was driving the van <laughs> and uh, some names that rolled through uh, Justin Fargus came in okay. for running, running back. Yep. No one knew about, no one knew about he came through. Uh, Denario Alexander, you know that. Oh name. yeah. Well, he Denario made he, Alexander. He, he, yeah, he was he he played on the team yep. before the knee the knee finally gave out. Yep. And there were a bunch more. There were he a was bunch good. More. Denario yeah, he Alexander. Was. Denario Alexander was a good player. Yep. Um, and so yeah, spent training camp with them. Then went back to Elon for my final year, and then they asked me back to, uh, the 2011 NFL draft. So that was at the lockout, and okay. it was the crazy one. Cam Newton at the top. You know, Von Miller keep going on and on JJ Watt out on Smith and all those quarterbacks. And so I, I sat in their draft room for all seven rounds. And by that point I knew I wanted to work in sports in some capacity. And so I was, I had this like information in the back of my head after working there, you know, for a summer 
that I just started to spout off to people who I like read their work. And one of them was Evan Silva. And so Evan kind of caught on that I had a bit more information and why. And so he and I kind of started up a relationship that way, just communicating DMs, texts, all that type of stuff. And so then when I went back, this is really bad. They're never going to hire me, so it's okay. Um, <laughs> when I went back for the 2011 NFL draft, I was like, I'm going to tell Evan Silva they're bored. And so, <laughs> so what I did was <laughs> when I got there, checked out the board because they pulled down where it actually was. And it was only about like an hour ahead of, of the draft. Went to the bathroom and just like told Evan, hey, man, this is the top 15. And uh, then like when, because that was the first year too, it was three days, I believe. Yep. And so <clears throat> I told them this. like, hey, they'll probably settle for, they'll settle for, oh God, who was the defensive tackle? Corey Legit or Prince oh, of Mukamara. Yep. Right. They, people wanted them to get Julio, but you know, the Falcons had traded up for Julio in that point. And then it got to the, the pick and it was, it was uh, Robert Quinn, which was oh, a really good man. selection. But Robert Quinn had like a tumor when he was in college or high school or something. And so teams are really nervous about that. And so I just picked up a lot of things. My main job was just to move the magnets. So like when a player got drafted, moved him from the front board over to the team in the backboard, backboard. And that was my whole thing. That was it. Shut up and move the magnets. But you, you pick up a lot of things along the way. And like Josh McDaniels, was also the OC. That was his one year as being the OC for that team. I couldn't remember when it was. I was going to yeah. ask you about the coaches. Yeah. Yeah. And Steve Spagnuolo was the head coach. Um, and so we're getting there in day two and it's, it's late, you know? And so all morning they're like, okay, we know Josh McDaniels wants a receiving tight end to pair with the legend, Michael Hoho Manawanui. And, <laughs> and he wants to run two tight ends because, you know, it worked so well with New England. He tried it in Denver, and now he's here. And so everyone thought that that would be like the, the third round selection. So we were looking at names like DJ Williams, if you remember that name, coming out of Arkansas. I do. I do. Uh, Lance Kendricks coming out of Wisconsin, a few others. Luke Stocker was another one. <laughs> and um, But in the second round, they were probably going to take a running back because Steven Jackson's time, I think, either was ending or was about to end. And if you're looking this up right now, I'm not missing names. Just let me know. I am. You're good. Um, I'm fact-checking so the shit out of you, though. Right. Some of the running backs up there. I can't believe I remember these. Mikel Ashore, uh, Daniel Thomas, Kendall Hunter. Oh oh um, all those names. I mean, blast from the past. I thought Kendall Hunter was going to be a player. Um, so, everybody yeah. Here wanted, everybody here wanted Mikel Ashore because uh, right. if anybody's not familiar in St. Louis – is located like basically right in the middle of the University of Illinois and the University and, and University of Missouri. Everybody is either a Missouri fan or an Illinois fan. And St. Louis is right on the river. It's literally on the river between um, Illinois and, and Missouri. So it's right. basically a conglomerate of both. I actually live in Illinois. Um, I say I'm from St. Louis, but I live on the on the suburbs of Illinois. And so Mikel Ashore, there's always these these guys like Mikel Ashore is like he went to Illinois. Oh my God, we need a running back in the second round. It has to be Mikel LaShore. You know, right. that's the that's the sports talk radio. Um, I'm even trying to pull up who they wanted. Anyways, they get to their pick. Yeah, here it is. They get to their pick in round two. It's the 47th overall selection. And at least they're dynamic. Every team is different. Coaches start to like trickle in about three to five picks ahead of time. They're kind of like in their own stations around the draft room and in the draft room. 
um, are the scouts and, you know, executives and all that type of stuff. And so the coaches start to trickle in. And then like, right when the pick is, is about to be on the clock, Josh McDaniels just like stares at Billy Devaney, who's the general manager. And then Billy turns the room and says, we're going to take Lance Kendricks. And Lance Kendricks isn't even close to the top of the board, man. Like not <laughs> even close. And the director of college scouting, I think at the time, or maybe he was like the head scout, one of the lead scouts, let's put him that way. was like, are you fucking kidding me? Uh, they, they wanted, and this guy's a bust too, but they wanted Brandon Harris, who was by far the top player on their board. He's the corner coming out of uh, Miami. Okay. And, okay. Okay. And so, I mean, again, my first time in there, I'm just like, all these teams are just totally lying about best player available, like completely. And so he, he obviously wanted to turn Michael Ho, Manawanui and Lance Kendricks into Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez. And this was his plan and not even close, right? Not <laughs> even close. No, and Lance so- Kendricks was the final in a long line of, there was a run. I, I, as a, as a damaged Rams fan, I post, I went back, I, I go back through it probably far too much, but I went back through it a couple months ago or something um, of their run post. Um, it was actually at the end of the greatest show on turf. It started, they drafted Trung candidate in the first round when they had Marshall Falk in his prime on the, on, on a, a, a Super Bowl team. And from then on, they, they hit on like one of the lowest rates you've ever seen in your entire life. From the year 2000 until basically it started to turn around, right? You start getting the Laronitis and stuff in, and it started to turn around a little bit. But the Lance Kendricks one was so funny because I was a dumb young kid at that at that time going to going to camp and watching him. I was like, I was sold. I was like, this dude's awesome. He is Aaron Hernandez because they, they like he's he's lined up on linebackers and seven on seven. He's cooking these guys up. He looks great in shorts, right? Because he's playing the Aaron Hernandez role, like you said. And I'm like, oh my God, this is it. You know, you're going back home. I think we we have a home dynasty league that's been going since I was like 16 yeah. years, 16 years old. Lance Kendricks went to like the end of the first round or right. something like that. And like, because we're all like, you know, we're leaking the inside information that like this guy's the next superstar tight end. Spoiler alert, Lance Kendricks was, was useless in the end. And NFL no offense game. to Lance. It's not his no. fault, you know? No. Uh so let me throw another a few more names at you. So that that's what happens in round two. And literally the the lead scout is like are you kidding me <laughs> who, did, um, who who was so brandon harris was like the guy this, i'm look i'm looking at this second round and this is maybe it's just because this is my generation or whatever but it's pretty awful. The, the names the names are are hilarious well, rodney hudson's pretty good there a couple picks after oh remember shane green at running back was ranked highly um, remember titus young the, oh yeah i do uh, remember did he titus play young. Did, did he uh, titus young play? had some did, problems yeah yeah <laughs> Daquan Bowers, did he play? He was the the he was one of the first guys um that you know blew out his knee, right? And um, right. he was supposed to be a, a stud, top blew out his knee. pick. Yeah, and he goes in the and he goes in the second round. Randall Cobb though went 64th overall. Anyways, okay, we wrap up with round two. And and so we're sitting there in round three. And I actually think this guy is the director of college scouting. His name is Mike. Mike Williams is his name. Yeah. And Prior year, I don't know if you remember this name. Maybe the chat does. There's a wide receiver to come out of Syracuse who went in like round five or round six. Also, whose name is like the other Mike Williams. Other Mike Williams, yeah. He had an unbelievable rookie year. I think it might have been with the Bills. I'm just throwing out stuff. Um, You're good, I'm looking. And this director of college scouting like pleaded the room to take him. And 
So on the heels of that guy, probably, and I'm, I'm going to throw out numbers, like probably have 60 catches and like 890 yards and maybe six touchdowns his rookie year. What do you have? Oh, you... Oh, 65 catches for 964 yards and 11 touchdowns. See, close, close enough. Um, 129 targets. Right. It was on, on the Bucks. I remember this now. The Bucks. Okay. okay. So he was unbelievable his rookie year. And so I think the general manager who works with this guy on a daily basis was like, man, we missed on that one. This guy's going to be a star. Let's let Mike Williams, our director of college scouting, pick the wide receiver <laughs> that he wants most in round three. And he goes out there and selects Austin freaking Pettis. Yeah. Um, and the reason why he selected Austin Pettis is this is what he said. He got up on the whiteboard and could tell you what every single player at every single position was supposed to do. Nothing about his game or anything, but just like his intelligence. And I think he had like a great three cone or shuttle or something like that. Anyways. So that was awful. Um, and that was the third round and that was over. Here we go in, in day three. So then round four rolls around and between Austin Pettis, the other name at the top of the wide receiver board at that time was Greg Salas. That's my guy. All names blast from the past. Greg so, Salas was my guy. And I was convinced he was right. good. So convinced. they debated it hard in that round three selection. They get to round four. Guess who's on the board? <laughs> Shocker. Greg Salas. Now we know why. But they, I mean, he is like prime slot player or supposed yep. to be. Right? Hawaii. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so you just had, I think Danny Mandola have a hundred targets or something. And they didn't think anything of the player, but of Danny Amendola. And so you could see Billy and Steve Spagnuolo getting together and Josh McDaniels and like basically writing the future of Danny Amendola out and being like, Hey, if we take Greg Salas, it's over, it's over for him. And then they just took Greg Salas in round four. <laughs> and then the sh most shocking thing, Eric, that has really stood out to me since we'll just go through some of these in round five, some, Safety out of Ohio State named Jermail Hines. Round six, they had no selections. And then in round seven, they had picked 216, 228, and 229. And none of these guys hit Mikhail Baker, Jabara Williams, Jonathan Nelson. What stood out to me on that final day is there was no plan. There was no process, okay? And really, when they got up on the clock, the GM turned to a position coach. He's like, hey, man, who do you want? And they just said a name and then they, they picked him. There was no like, Hey, this is the critical factors for athletic testing that we think he has upside here or like blah, blah, blah. It was so random, so random. And no wonder like those guys just completely fizzled out. So I'm, that, I'm, that was, I'm that was through seven rounds of that draft for me. You're, you're making me sick to my stomach because as a fan, that's almost what it felt like the drafts were for many a year um, from the Rams. But we're going to – everybody gets to listen to us scroll through that. I don't give a shit what, what anybody thinks. So we had the Bradford year, right? 20, 20, 2010. Oh, Marty Gilliard. <laughs> Marty Gilliard was another one. And so <clears throat> you're so jaded as a young kid in your local market. And, like, again, this is – I didn't have access to, like, tons of really – like, right now I go on Twitter. I can find somebody a thousand times smarter than the, the content I had access to, you know, in 2009, 2010. I didn't understand – who to look for. I didn't understand any of this. So it's like the Rams need a wide receiver. The Rams took Marty Gilliard. I don't know. He looks pretty athletic to me. He was pretty good at Cincinnati. Right? Yeah. He's yeah. pretty good at Cincinnati. He's a punt returner, which I do like, I do like those kind of guys, you know, good athletes. 
like, well, he's the next, he's the next great thing, right? There, there's a line I Mike, like you said. Don't he's worry. The next Oz Akeem, you know? Don't yeah, exactly. Um, Oz Akeem, the first Rams jersey I ever had. Uh Fendi Anabon. Oh, they, they, they had high hopes for Fendi. He just did they, not know how to play football. He was no, a basketball. Great a- yes, great athlete. Um uh so you'll but you'll see here this tight end run, right? Also, George Selvey, I believe, uh, was the leader in sacks in the country. We also convinced ourselves the seventh round pick because he had a lot of college sacks. Was going to be. I think he played opposite JPP or yes. close to it around yes. the same time. And he was like 230 pounds right. as a defensive end. So anyway, you see this nonsense, right? We'll just scroll through it super quickly. I oh, mean, Donnie Avery was the other wide receiver. He was pretty yeah. good. Yeah, Donnie Avery was okay. He signed a decent deal with Tennessee Colts. Colts. Yep, you're right. Um. Chris Long was a hit, but that's one, one, so one for eight in that draft. Oh, Adam cares. Oh, so this at 2007, this was the general manager prior to Billy. I think if you go back and cross check all of these names with senior bowlers, they're all senior bowlers. And that coach, Ah. so many of those, you know, the coaches get into the process at the senior bowl. That's when they start watching Mm -hmm. all these players. Yeah. And he just fell in love. He's like, oh, man, we're going to take Adam Carriker in round one. We're going to take Brian Leonard in round two because those are the first guys he watched. And he just did not move off of them for the remainder of the process. Brian Leonard was a fullback at Rutgers who they tried to turn into an NFL running back. Yeah, he he if, was running mates with Ray Rice, right? Ray Rice, yeah. He was – he was, and don't – I mean, he was a good he, – he wasn't like a traditional like blocking fullback, right? But like the, he played as a fullback. I mean, this is 2007, right? You know, 2006 when he was playing. So it's a different style of football. But you just this is like every year it find a good player on here. You tell me. Yeah. A player who played in the NFL for a long time. Oh, guess what? Another year? Uh, oh OJ Otagwe was pretty good. Richie Incognito. Anthony Richie in the Incog- chat makes a pretty funny comment. I thought Josh might say that they went and turned to him for a seventh round pick. Yeah, man. I would have taken Jason Kelsey in round six. That's what I would have done. <laughs> changed the changed the landscape of the NFL for a decade. I actually that that week, Eric. I, that final day of the draft, I had a 102 degree fever because it turned out that my wisdom teeth were infected. Like when I got home to Charlotte, I had to get emergency surgery, my wisdom teeth to get them removed. So that final day, my head was spinning <laughs> and I didn't tell anyone because I wanted to work oh, as no. a once in a lifetime opportunity. <laughs> right. And so my head was just spinning at 103 degree fever. Uh, while making all these awful draft picks. So my, my favorite, and we'll move, we'll, we'll move on, but this is so 1999, they win the Super Bowl, right? Greatest show on turf. They beat Steve McNair and, and the Titans. You have Marshall Falk, all these guys in their prime. What do you got to do? First round running back because he was real fast. Trunk candidate, real fast. Then they move on to the next year, and they have three first round picks despite being one of the best teams in the NFL. Yep. They drafted not one, but two defensive tackles who both were busts. And uh, college oh, linebacker Adam Archuleta, love Archuleta. Adam. Yeah, I'm sure you did football, bro. College linebacker who we got to play NFL safety. They had a tendency for taking these guys playing like fullback and linebacker, and let's put them in the at the in the skill groups when they get to the NFL. Spoiler alert: Archuleta couldn't cover my grandma out there. He's a good tackler, but uh, playing safety in the NFL was not was was not great. But I also loved. Adam Archuleta. Oh yeah, back back. I then. would trade for him uh, in like every single Madden dynasty that I made. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah. Anyways, so the point of that story. I'm sorry to drag on. Sorry to drag no. on. But uh, was the relationship that I fostered with Evan, and you can actually go back and uh, find his old tweets suggesting who the Rams are about to pick because he's like, <laughs> oh man, 
I, I, I bet the Rams are going to take Lance Kendricks in round two when no one else is mentioning this. You can find <laughs> these. And it's from me in the bathroom in Earth City, Missouri, texting them to him. Anyway, so so the draft ends. I don't have a job out of, out of school. I, I wanted to work in the league. But again, I like to say at the time it was because um, of the lockout. Like they weren't hiring anyone. I mean, the league right. almost like did not play that year. Yep. Um, and so the season starts on like a quick turn. And I, uh, I just start like writing freelance. I started writing freelance for like CBS sports with Chad Ryder and Rob Rang for draft prospects. Okay. Um, and then Evan, once that draft season hit was like, Hey man, why don't you just freelance write for us at, uh, at Roto road for draft stuff, not to bash, you know, NBC, they don't really pay freelancers. It was like $40 an article. That's, that's what happens in this business. Um, and so I did that. I went to the East West Shrine game, paid for myself down there, did all the senior bowl stuff and then did a good enough job. And Evan was always just such a really good advocate for me that, uh, that then I pitched them turning the, yeah, like I said, college football section into the, uh, NFL draft section. And we have, we have moved on since then. So crazy. It's so funny. <clears throat> had ha- talked to Hayden last week and, um, he had a not not the same story as you, but a very similar story. And I have a similar story as well in terms of getting into this to this space. I won't tell it because anybody that's listening has probably heard it already. But it was Evan. It was I was creating a startup in the fantasy sports space and just cold met like was adding Evan on Twitter. It's like, hey, I got this thing. What do you think? Yep. He followed me, DM'd me, call me. Yep. He just says, call me with his phone number. Yep. So what the fuck? I'm like, same thing as you, you know, you're sick or whatever. Uh, This is my once in a lifetime opportunity. I'm like, well, yeah. uh, Okay. I'm not prepared for this, but this dude with, you know, several hundred thousand Twitter followers just said, Hey, call me. So I did talk to Evan for the next half hour, 45 minutes. And he helped, helped me launch what, you know, that startup didn't end up working out, but that's why I'm here. That's literally why I'm here today is Evan Silva and him. He had no, he had no reason uh, you know, he likes to joke and be a hardo and stuff on some of these uh, shows and stuff. And he's very funny. His, he plays that role really well, but he might be one of the nicest, most genuine, caring people like that I've ever met. And definitely in, in this space, he's like springboarded like three, three fourths of the entire industry has been springboarded by Evan Silva. Um, and then from there, so I started working at NBC, like I said, and moved over and up to Connecticut uh, lived there for eight years. And a big part of that, we talked about television and video. And I was just a writer at first and blurbing and all that type of stuff. Um, and then launched like really the first podcast at NBC. And so <laughs> they had no idea how to do that stuff. Like NBC is truly a TV network and they do such a good job with it. You know, they, yep. do the Olympics, Sunday night football, they're so specialized in storytelling in that environment and, and have perfected it. Um, they didn't know let i'll just talk in past tense here eric they didn't know how to do digital content okay and i think that's normal probably for a lot of these tv networks because oh yeah the people at the top making decisions um are all tv people right and i think you have to have a totally different mindset for something that is supposed to be snappy jump cuts in your face and keep you engaged versus I'm going to tune into this on a television network and have this 12 minute long drawn out story about a crazy thing that happened to me. Um, and so, yeah, when we still had the number one podcast 
when I left there original, let's put it that way. And that, that had been for four years and it's, it was a bit frustrating because you looked around and podcasts were being like promoted and mm -hmm. like it huge, huge numbers and how much they were bringing in and ads and all that type of stuff. And they just, it didn't connect with them in terms of them believing it was like a big, a big priority, but it, I was super proud of it. And it, I think it's helped Hayden. I think it's helped Pat. I think it's helped Ray um, Daigle, like Ian, yep. everyone that we were able to have, the show that we created had no producer for that I was <laughs> editing and putting all this stuff together and turning into video during the pandemic and all that type of stuff. And just being able to have like blurbers be able to talk on camera and creating content that way. But I'm really, really proud looking back on it. What we were able to do with the, with the podcast stuff over at NBC and Roto World. And then I just quit. Uh, and then I just quit Eric. Right. I'm, I was really proud of it. And then I just gave him the middle finger and, uh, and, and <laughs> was quit. done with it. No, I don't know. I'm, I'm obviously kidding. But so what, you know, you don't have to give away all, uh, any details. I'm not asking you to, to spill, spill any drama or anything like that. But what what made you move to Underdog or what, you know, what was the driving force behind that? And to be honest with you, when I quit, I did not have the Underdog thing lined up. I had nothing. I, th I, I knew that. I've heard you say that before. I, knew that. I had absolutely nothing lined up. It just worked out really well. Um, I'd already planned on Underdog and all that type of stuff. But I, I, I quit from and there's no drama or anything like that. But I quit because when we all went home, I mean, I seriously remember sitting in the office when all of the conference championship games were being canceled due to COVID. Like, Oh yeah. I worked in the newsroom and we just surrounded by televisions and they were just all gone and being pulled off the field, like the court and all that type of stuff. And so I thought I'd be home for like a week. Turns out I was home for a year plus. And during that time, Again, we were people were so reliant on making content through the studios and production at NBC that then at the time I just had to learn how to do it myself. So like I found StreamYard because Zoom wasn't as good and started, you know, saying, hey, if we can get this cut from this start point to this end point and kind of took command of all of the non-written content, right? Yep. And so then when we moved along during those months, uh, once like everyone got accustomed to how working from home and everything was, I basically pitched them on a promotion and just weren't having it. And so I was like, if I didn't show enough in like this last year and a half where we remained, um, you know, the number one show and how I'd written out plans to even do more and more and more and get people more and more involved. And I think it's really important because they're really into pitching premium products right now mm -hmm. that premium products have, like a name and a face attached to them. And it's not just like, Hey, this is a chart that you should look at and, and live by. Because yep. I think as we evolve with what we're doing with best ball and what we're going to get into in a lot of other places with sports betting and just consuming that content. Um, I think more than anything, people just want to like ride the roller coaster with people like live sweat and, because no one's perfect and no one's going to bat a thousand. If you just say like, oh, this is the best information period and here's your winner. I don't know how far that's going to take you anymore. And like yep. more than anything, I think like attaching a person to the information that you're giving across is what's going to win out in the end. So I kept pitching that to them. And at those massive media conglomerates, there's constantly hierarchy changes. And I think I just caught it probably at like the wrong time. 
And so I kind of just felt like if they weren't going to listen to this proposal that I had, then it was probably just time for me to go. There was nothing left I could could prove. So I I literally just quit. That's that that that's amazing. Um, I've done something similar like that uh, in the past. So that's that's um, that's. Funny to hear. I was going to say awesome to hear, but you know, not all those stories work it out. Turned well. out awesome. like, it turned out awesome. It turned out it turned it turned out awesome, but I'm sure like like it was for me. It doesn't always feel awesome um, no. after you like you feel really you know uh, empowered and invigorated at first, and then if something doesn't literally come together perfectly afterwards, uh, 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 there's a lot of thoughts that uh, come come through to your head. But I was just going to add, uh, I basically co- I co-sign everything that that you just said, and. Um, I think this space that we're both in now is doing a perfect job and might be one of the like shining lights on that model that you're talking about. You, you just can't be six. It's a people business. We're in the people business. We're all gambling, right? We're all playing fantasy sports or whatever, but like, it's not fun to just do this all by yourself. Like that's not, the, the point is that we're all talking. Right. Me, you and I are talking. You and Hayden are talking every day. I'm talking to other people. We're in discords. We're in maybe you just have a group chat with your buddies. Like best ball really isn't that fun. If it, if you didn't talk to anybody about it, you just like sat on your couch and drafted by yourself. Like, I don't know. That doesn't seem that fun to me. But the community experience is a part of it. And like you said, you need kind of a face to be to be on all of that. We are, of course, at Spike Week going to be launching um, a premium product. But it's that's solely driven. That, that would never have happened if everything over the last year, year and a half hadn't happened in terms of us being able to create a community, us, right. me being able to do a stream every single day, you know, for, for uh, months or whatever. And so I do think that's, that's really important. And I'm, I'm really happy um, with what we're building here and like seeing what you guys are building and what Peter's building and what, uh, what tons of other people are building. Cause it's just everybody, you know, we don't directly profit from the same thing, but right. like we kind of all, we still kind of all do. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing also where let's just use like the betting spaces is, is, has become and like where it's going to. Um, I remember like driving in the car with my dad on Saturdays and listening to the radio, this guy like saying, Hey, call this number. It's my lock of the week and all this type of stuff and whatever. And then now I truly feel that that all is going to be dictated by just community. And like, like obviously people are going to try to give out winners because we all want to win and all that type of stuff, but sweating with someone that you find entertaining and informative and who gave you the process of why they came to a selection and all that type of stuff is going to be so much more beneficial than just, you know, information or just a chart that says, oh, here's an inefficiency. Let's bet that one, I think. Um, yeah. And I, I, I honestly think that, and that networks are still slow to that. Like there's, oh, yeah. there's still all that they want is someone to come up there and be like, Hey, this is the information. Boom. And that's it. So it's all to me intersecting at the right time for, uh, for all of us to have a, a, a really enjoyable experience really for like the next five, 10 years. And it, it'll even go crazy beyond that. So, yep. It's, it's, it's so funny that you say that too, because of last year, like you said, nobody bats a thousand shit. I, I I don't even know if I batted three hundred. You know, I was closer to the Mendoza line probably last year on on uh, 
on you know the the takes and the flag plants and all of that stuff. I mean, we could go down the list of the the Trey Lances and the Robbie Andersons and the, and all that. It's it's it was it was not very good. But the ironically, the take that I was like that I, I would give again. I'm actually going to write an article that is like a founded around this person. I'm happy to attach my brand to this. Trey game. Lance, um, <laughs> close, close. I am drafting Trey Lance again. Let's not do that. Let's not. Let's not. I don't want to talk about Trey Lance anymore. I get I, every time. Every time, um, Rob Rob Coakley, who does a Spike Week show yeah. for us now, he he will not do a show without making fun of me about mm. about Trey Lance. So uh, I think he's fired. Sorry, sorry uh, to fill that shoe today. Yeah, I think I think I think he's fired, and I think you're not welcome on these shows anymore. <laughs> uh, no, but what I was going to say was Darrington Evans, who yeah. obviously on your from a practical sense didn't help you with shit <laughs> he basically didn't play all year right but people saw that the logic the everything revolving around me like touting this kid who was not being drafted in best ball drafts for months and finally you know i dig into these things and i'm like this is like the best pick like he should be like a 15th round pick not an 18th round pick and and like obviously then I kind of made it a bit, but like I, I would go to bat for that the logic behind that, obviously, yeah. whether it works out or not. But like people don't hold that against you. But like if you like you said, if you just like present and say, Hey, I think they you know the the heat are favored by seven tonight, they should be favored by nine. So bet minus seven. It's like who I, that that doesn't you know that doesn't really hold a lot of weight or whatever but this like look i'm presenting to you i'm putting my i'm putting my brand on this guy and here's all the reasons why i think we should invest in this kid and it doesn't work out people are like well i don't know the logic was sound it's just football you know right yeah i'm with you so 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 future now we got future of future of best ball what are you uh you don't have to you know if you have insider information don't don't we don't need to be doing um what uh we just launched for everyone that's living under a rock, the biggest best ball contest of all uh, in the crazy. history and the his- the biggest fantasy uh, season long, any anything non DFS related. Uh, it might even be the biggest fantasy sports contest ever. I, I-, I don't know what-, what the biggest live final is that DraftKings has had, but it's-, it's at least close to rivaling that one of the biggest fantasy sports contests ever. Ten million dollar prize pool, two million, two million dollars first place. Three separate millionaires will be crowned um, later Justin this year. God, later what a year, year to win it. Yeah, what a what a loser, Herzig. Jeez, that, that's we're a, making that's... like ten Justin Herzigs out there this year. No, I'm yeah, exactly, not. exactly. When I finish the eleventh and I make more money than Herzig did winning the first year, I'm just gonna I'm gonna fly out there and uh, oh, give him to us. Yeah, obviously, uh, we're Eric. To, to me, what puts it on perspective is the first twelve hours of Best Ball Mania three had more entries than the largest day ever last summer for best ball mania too. And that like really as a company, it's been so much fun just jumping from like a media conglomerate. Like I talked about to something that mm-hmm. it feels like everything that we're doing has like some real, like tangible impact. Like you can yep. see and, and feel what we're all doing at the end of the week or the month or the day. Right. And and that's, that's a lot of fun. It's not just like you're a, uh, on the wheel, like the hamster wheel, and like you're replaceable. Maybe we are, but I'd like to think that we're not. Um, I don't. I, I definitely would not. I definitely would not say that um, all the. You know, I don't know everybody at Underdog, but from everybody right. that I've met, and obviously with you and Hayden, um, it's a big part. I, I really do yeah. believe that it's a, it's a really big part because of what you said, the community aspect, and um, 
we, we like this isn't this isn't sports betting where everybody grew up with this thing. We need to build out this community in order for everybody to, uh, I think, really invest in it. And I mean, Jesus, I'm just pulling it up right now. There's seven thousand six hundred and twenty six entrants into Best Ball Mania three, and it is May fourth at uh, dinner time. Like right. that's that's pretty crazy. Bananas. It's it's what thirty two hours something like that since okay, and I was employee sixteen at Underdog, and now we're over a hundred. So like the whole thing is scaling, not just scaling these tournaments. And you know Nick and Lars and everyone does such a great job of figuring out like the right sizing. Yeah, it's that's a tough job, and they've done an incredible job with it. Um, But at the same time, not just getting that correct, but it's also the marketing end and. I mean, Liz and Mackins and Berm and Zach and all those people were under the marketing wing too. Um, so not only just scaling the games, scaling the marketing where randomly I was asked to go do TV commercials in our uh, office in Brooklyn. And <laughs> so we put up like a, a blue screen and started filming those. And then they went out like television the next week and then they were on you know, this past weekend for the NFL draft. It's pretty crazy that that stuff happens and how quickly things move and what we're doing. But it's then now scaling the the media side. So, you know, we, we got Wob with the NBA stuff. Go and check out his channel. We got Tyler doing three hours a day, five days a week on the Trill Weather Show. And that's barely sports. Today they yeah. talked <laughs> about the Chappelle Show and the person getting <laughs> tackled on there. And I mean, it's great. It's so it, we're trying to figure out how to scale the media end of all, all that too, while still like Trust trying me. to give informative yep. football content. So it's it, it's it's a challenge on a daily basis, and but in a good way, in in a good way, not a frustrating challenge, but just like there's constantly stuff to do. But I'm 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 really am enjoying it. What do you think um, next year's best ball mania four prize pool is going to be? If you, if Josh Norris had to make a bet. Set an over under of what the the prize pool would be next year. So this one was 10, 10 million. Um, three point five. Shout out, shout out to Paul though. Shout out to Paul in the chat saying the UD customer service is unmatched. I think it that's is. such like a big part of of where we're going in this space. Not just like if we can include underdog with obviously the fancy aspects of FanDuel and DraftKings, like mm-hmm. all these places. To me when you have an issue with what your, your money, let's put it that way, your money, you want to speak to someone like a legit person and not just get a, you know, auto generated email back and saying, Hey, well, we're, we've have recognized the problem. So the support group is incredible, incredible for what they do. And there's just constantly things coming in with that. So shout out. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to throw shade at you, Josh, but it might be the best part of the company. It it really might be. It's not a slide on you. It's actually not a slide on you. I think it's just, it's that good. And I think it has to be. And especially like they have to deal with fraud too and all that type of stuff. Like there's a lot to do on that end. And it's, it's amazing how. It's also more uh, difficult to deal with customer service. And like you said, the fraud and the, um, the issues of, uh, you know, any conspiracy. Making up stuff. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and, and it's, it's harder to implement, right? So like you and I hop into a draft together and we're going to, we're going to scheme, right? It's not easy for anyone to determine if you are where you are and I'm where I am. We're not, you know, we're not in the same IP. We're not even in the same freaking state. We're not in the same time zone. So like we could, we could do whatever we want to do. And 
figuring out how to handle all of that um, and doing it really well. And like, no one ever like, <laughs> no one complains because it's done so well. And the service is so good. Um, right. I think it goes, I think it, I think it, it flies under the radar and it shouldn't. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, and the other part of scaling too, um, is just getting people to try it for the first time. Like best ball is one of those things. It's like football Pringles where like, once you try it, once you want to keep going, you know, but they hear best ball and they don't know what it is. And they might hear it a second time and a third time. How many times they have to hear it or like, what is the pitch to get them to try it one time, you know, to download the app and get into one draft. Cause I think you can say this and I'm sure the entire chat can, once you do one draft, you want to do another draft. And I don't mean that from like a, Hey, it, you know, it was a good thing for me if you draft as many times as possible. It's just fun. It's yep. fun. And I think we need to get rid of this at large, you know, assumption that, you know, fantasy football is just that one draft that you do with friends in the end of August or early September, which, I mean, that's always going to be there. But yeah. and it should draft and right it now. Should. And it should it be should 100%. Be but you can draft right now to prepare for that instead of these phony mock drafts. Um and you don't have to manage on a weekly basis. It's all just the drafting part, which people prepare for more than anything else until they give up, you know, in week nine. So figuring out all of that, and I think we've done an incredible job um, in just a year doing that. And again, it speaks to the, the comment I started with where we had more entries in the first 12 hours than we did of any big day last year, which was Labor Day, I think was our biggest entry point last year. Um, and, Wait till uh, Labor Day this year. Wait till Labor Day this year. I mean, yeah. good Lord, man. It's going to yeah. be absolutely crazy. Um, uh, as we as we wrap up, you kind of reminded me, um, as we're kind of talking about the future of best ball and everything, what got me, and I've told this story before, I don't know if I've told, told you, so I'm going to tell it again. Apologize to the people that have heard it. What got me truly hooked. So I played best ball back to the MFL really just the direct. The, 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 I did a little bit of MFL 10 stuff. The experience wasn't, you know, that's another thing. Oh, yeah. dog, the, the well, MFL 10s wasn't tournaments. It was just like right. a private draft that you put out. Evan got me into those because when back in the old days of the podcast, he would mention like, oh, and over an MFL 10. So I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and then the payouts there were crazy in that like yes. if you won, you get a hundred bucks if they were $10 entries, right? MFL 10s. Yep. And so mm -hmm. in my brain, I'm like, I only have to win one out of every 10 times to break even. And if I win, you know, five more than that, boom, there's 500 bucks in my pocket. Yeah, I loved it. See, my problem was coming from a, the DFS side of things. It was like the juice wasn't worth the squeeze Got it. for, for just the, you know, like, and those I, were I all slow drafts. Those were all slow drafts. Exactly. And so, um, the experience wasn't as good. The product was great actually, but the, the experience wasn't as, wasn't as good um, with those and the, there's no upside. And so, um, I think that's important. Right. Uh, I'm not saying you have to have $10 million worth of upside, but you have to have some kind of up. Right. If I'm going to draft in May, there needs to be like a real payoff at the end, not right. 10 Xing, not 10 Xing $10. So um, I, like I said, I've been, I did, I did some MFL tens and I, I really got into it in the, in the, the draft, you know, uh, draft.com um, with Jeremy. That's that, that was when I really dove in really heavy. Um, I somehow won, um, like I didn't make any crazy big money, but had a, had a solid, solid season, despite two of my stands being justice Hill yeah. and Dante and Dante Pettis. So there I clearly go. have a four, have a 49ers issue, but, um, sure. I'm surprised it wasn't Darwin Thompson. So, no, I left that one for Davis. Got it. 
Darwin, Darwin, Darwin got the chief steam, um, which I guess I, I, Justice Hill also got the steam. So Darwin was the, 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 the 18th round pick that was going in like the eighth round by the end of uh, drafts. That true. was, that was nuts. So um, I got into it then and obviously got into underdog the very first year. Loved it. But I, it never truly clicked for me like, holy shit, this is like, I'm literally not surprised by what, like the $10 million thing. Like, I'm actually not surprised because I've been a believer now for two years or whatever that, yeah. like, this is the absolute future of fantasy sports, period. But it was what hooked me NBA playoff, oh. best, best ball tournaments on underdog because um, you talked about fun. And like the part of the fun for me is how the strategy of, of all of it, right? And like going in and having to think through, okay, there's only 16 teams that make the playoffs, but you know, I, I'm only drafting 10 players. How do you know what what how many players can I actually draft? Like stacking, right? Everybody kind of understands that, but like how many? Because like they're playing series. Like this right. isn't even just like the NFL playoffs. There's seven game series. You could you could draft both teams that make the finals, but if they sweep everybody along the way, it doesn't matter. Right. And so like this balancing act of all these different variables of a game, that's it's definitely unsolvable, but it was clearly unsolvable when we were right. first learning about it. And I was just hooked. I couldn't, I was just, I'm, I'm just sitting on my phone, just constantly drafting teams because I'm like, well, what about this scenario? Exactly. Your example, you finish one and you're like, well, what about this? What if the Celtics win? What if, what if the Celtics sweep? You know, I'm like, I really like the Celtics, but what if they, so all of that. Isn't, isn't um, there something I, to it being unsolvable though? Like yes. during my fun, like I was at Roto World when there was the crazy growth of DFS with FanDuel and DraftKings and all that type of stuff. And obviously yeah. I would play cash each week and do tournaments and that type of stuff. But then it got to a point when, you know, you're basically playing 1v1s or 2v2s and, you know, there are some very patient, smarter, more intelligent people out there than I am that just are totally cool with doing a whole bunch of $50, $10, $20, whatever entries and playing 1v1s and 2v2s and just like slowly building it up. That doesn't really get my juices flowing, you know? <laughs> right. And yep. and people are still out there doing that. That's amazing. But I kind of love on some level that what we are doing is like totally unsolvable not just the playoffs that you mentioned in both nba and, and nfl but like drafting every summer it's like we just have conversations that carries us through the entire summer because we're trying to figure this out you know and i i really do feel that we are also because there's so much great content out there a lot of it no matter what is geared towards because of the biggest audience your home leagues that are probably ppr format right and I really feel that best ball half point PPR should be, you know, configured in your brain, thought about, processed a bit differently than managed full point Definitely. PPR. Um, and I don't know if we're like at the point yet, and maybe it is the summer when we are like just talking about strategies specific to half point PPR best ball versus like lumping them all together. But that's also difficult because then, you know, people who create content can't do like two separate shows about the two different platforms or the two separate styles. So it's, uh, I'm enjoying it. And I, I think the uncertainty of the whole thing is, is really does help us in the end. Yeah. A hundred percent. The uncertainty. I mean, the uncertainty is everything. The uncertainty um, in a fun way you know, though. Not like, a fun, uh, it, yeah, it, it's not like, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of, uh, uh, 
uh, an example of like uncertain. Uh, honestly, like USFL is going on right now. If anybody got into the, like the DFS streets, of, I did not. Um, uh, but I know obviously people who did. And it's like, you literally don't even know who's playing. Right. Nonetheless, nonetheless who's getting the ball. Right. Like, like sometimes, you know, this quarterback plays, sometimes this one does. And there's no rhyme or reason, right? There's guys that are on the inactive list getting 25 carries in a game. So like that level of uncertainty isn't good for anybody, but the amount of uncertainty that exists in this game is great for everybody because um, yes, sometimes you're going to come out on the bad end. Sometimes you're going to come out on the good end. Right. And it, it, it that, that uncertainty creates strategy and creates um, opportunity. Um, and so um, I, I couldn't possibly be more excited for it now before we wrap up, because that uncertainty had me thinking of the last thing I was going to ask you this specific 2022 NFL season, this, this off season, like you want to talk about creating uncertainty. Uh, have we ever seen this much movement in an NFL oh. off season that changed, right? That changed the entire NFL landscape, Tyree kill, uh, right. Devontae Adams, Russell Wilson, on down the list. AJ Brown just recently. What what is your like grand takeaway for like if you had to put a theme or like a, or a prediction or what are you thinking about heading into like right now? Obviously, it's early, but like yeah. after the draft, what were you like? Oh my god! Like this is this is what I think the season's going to be like. Um. Yeah, uh, I think it's really easy to start talking yourself and believing into like the player that is going to outperform the bad team that he's on. And it absolutely happens. Like the Brandon cooks is of the world. I'm on Ross St. Brown's like there's a whole bunch of different ways production can happen. And in fact, like thinking back last year to Deandre Swift and how he was exploding week after week. So many of that was only in like the second half of the third quarter. And then the fourth quarter when they were down by like 20 something mm -hmm. points and he creates, you know, a 60 yard touchdown in the passing yep. game. So like, how much of that production that he created early on last season when he was having those 20 something point weeks is replaceable, like is, is replicable, repeatable when they might be more competitive this year, you know? So even getting into those nuances of game flow and game script and what the production was in those versus, you know, how these teams might change. Yeah. I mean, to answer your question, um, I don't know if I have a really good answer because ADPs are still being set right now, you know, like it's crazy. The, Ty the opinions are all over the place, right? Like Tyree kill and Jalen water are still being drafted as like top 12 wide receivers, you know, um, the one player who stands out to me, if we can just like be really specific in this. Yep. If we expect Deshaun Watson to miss, I don't know, four, six, eight games, the Cleveland Browns are also a team that as of this moment have too much invested in the running back spot for how they run their organization. Mm -hmm. Kareem Hunt's contract, no guaranteed money left. Yep. He's I wouldn't cut. be surprised if it's a free cut or a trade or something that happens. Maybe they keep him. Who knows? But of course, I have to come on your show and talk about the running back 10. But <laughs> there is an avenue where, to me, Nick Chubb in the first half of the season like leads the league in carries. And I don't mm -hmm. know if it's factoring in like Alvin Kamara is going as running back eight um, at the very least. I think we need to flip him and, and Nick Chubb. And I think Nick Chubb, we always talk about this because he splits backfields and yada, yada, yada. But I think there's a major difference between, and this is hypothetical at this point, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt versus Nick Chubb and Dearness Johnson. And the latter I think is what we will be getting. And 
I mean, talk about big plays plus volume, plus a healthy offensive line compared to last year. And uh, I'm, I'm would hate to miss up an opportunity where I advocate for you taking a running back who's going in like round two. So, so you gave me the opportunity to pull up. I am, you will be surprised as a, a, a running back hater and particularly a running back hater who does not catch passes traditionally. I'm, I'm fairly in on, on Nick Chubb. He is, he, I know you said he's going at running back 10 and he is currently my, my running back 10. I have a couple of, uh, I'm very high on, on, on Saquon and Javante. You are. He's at running back 13. Saquon is an underdog right now. In, in, in particular, I, uh, we don't need to get into my whole rankings process, but um, I, I try to take very large stands on the guys. Yeah, I love these James um, Conner and Leonard Fournette. For, well, you don't have Leonard Fournette out there, but I love the James Conner. Yeah, he's stands. he's right here. So twelve RB twelve. Yeah. So, uh, but things, if you wanted to, if you wanted same Fournette, same thing. If you wanted to move move him up, um, I'm pretty aggressive on the running back stuff, the wide the wide receiver stuff. I'm um, I'm so so on, but um, I think. You talked about the half point PPR thing. That's something I'm I'm definitely making sure that I try to embrace a little a little bit more and thinking through uh, some of those contingencies, like you said, with with Kareem Kareem Hunt being gone. Even when Kareem Hunt was hurt last year, they didn't specifically use Chubb in like quite the role that I was I was kind of hoping for because I did invest a little bit into him just to just to to kind of cover my my ass on a, a, what I thought was maybe a bad take. I think but, he was also coming off injury too, if I'm remembering correctly. And and I just think tying ourselves too much to little things that happened in the past um, can get us into trouble. When like Nick Chubb is the maybe the best pure runner in football, he's the most efficient runner in football. Like let's just not. I, I don't want to leave with zero percent Nick Chubb. I feel like that would be foolish. Right. Is basically especially a team uh, that like wants to use so many tight ends and different personnel groupings, and like literally it's Amari Cooper and David Bell at wide receiver at this moment, and like. That's all that we're talking about. Um, I talk myself into it every year, but I think there's a real avenue for again a top five start to the season for Nick Chubb. So can I can I get a cosign on uh, on David Bell then? What about yeah. what about David Bell? Are you, well, are you I mean, a David Bell guy as a prospect? They're they're going to play him in the slot, and again, what what the Browns, the deal that they made for Mark Cooper, like immediately. 24 hours later looked like a bargain in comparison to what all these other wide receivers are getting paid and how much they had to give up like what a fifth round pick to get him. Yep. Um, And look, there's still these veterans that are moving and maybe one lands there and hopefully one does. But yeah, I mean, if he shows anything, David Bell should be a starter on that team. Well, let's hope because my money, my current, uh, it's only a, it's not a ton of money yet, but it's going to be a lot of money because I'm not going to stop drafting him. Um, I hope you're drafting a lot of James Conner right now because he's going as running back 18 on a and you have him as like running back eight. I think I saw. Yes, that's correct. James Conner is uh, is James Conner is one of my guys. Uh, We talked about Saquon Javante. Um, I'm I'm about close close to the market with with Fournette, which is like, isn't this wild? Last year, like we would like I I would have thrown up of me saying these things. Right, like all these running backs, Saquon Barkley on the Giants with Daniel Jones as his quarterback. Like you're going to be overweight on him. Like uh, Leonard Fournette, you weren't drafting him in the 14th round, and he's your running back 12. What are we doing here? You know, changes but, quickly. Um, it does. It's it, it changes quickly. So last prediction, one more prediction. The winning stack. What? Oh, if you had to pick. So last year it was Joe Burrow 
to Jamar Chase. Yeah, but let me tell you this. If we're talking regular season, which but now you can do both. A gives regular you a million season. dollars. The regular yes. season last year winner stacked the hell out of the Bucks. Like yeah. Yeah. multiple rounds early selected Buccaneers players. Um, so that's something had, to keep in mind had, that had now like we're all of them, that. right? Well, we drafted like Evans, Gronk. And Gronk about three rounds early and Fournette about three rounds early, like literally three rounds. Um, and they dominated the regular season. So not rushing Casey. Um, Casey says basically Eric is saying sick on leave the league in rushing. Uh, no, but um, I'm buying Brian Dayball and I'm Brian, uh, I'm buying, uh, I'm buying Saquon health and all, all that fun. So stuff. I, I think if you wanted to, God, and, that, and that's a bit different. I mean, stacking the chiefs right now is pretty easy. If you eliminate Travis Kelsey from your brain, which and wide receiver we, then? Yeah. What well, we don't have to, you know, decide anymore between Travis Kelsey and, and Tyreek Hill in round one, which is a big conversation in previous years. I mean, you could easily get Mahomes at the quarterback too. And I, we're going to have a conversation all summer long about, you know, taking quarterbacks earlier now versus our brains and, you know, season long yep. leagues of what we could replace week on week. Juju's wide receiver 37, which is really early in comparison to like MVS at wide receiver 57 and Sky Moore at wide receiver 52. You could easily get all three of those players plus Patrick Mahomes and roll and roll from there. So may, if you want to sprinkle in a CEH at running back 28 versus where he was <laughs> like what running back 12 or 13 last year. Yep. Um, that's just an offense that I think if we remember the second half of last season learned how to attack those two high shells. Yep. But on top of that, Patrick Mahomes was still top three in the league in terms of 20 plus yard passing attempts. So while they probably even set themselves up better this year to attack the spacing underneath that defense is going to give them in the passing game, Mahomes is still going to launch it down the field and create big plays <laughs> doing that outside of structure and inside of structure too. So going through those growing pains last year, I think is going to pay off in like the diversity that we get in their wide receiver room this year. And it's already at a discount that we can get all four of those pieces if we wanted to. And basically every single draft that we're doing right now. I, I love that take. I love um, both you and Hayden's take about, about MVS. I couldn't possibly agree more. He's right there with, um, in terms of undervalued guys, him, David Bell was another one of my. And here's, my a, here, here's a comment on that. Cause we still, no matter what, get comments about MVS. And I think part of it is because he drops the ball on Monday night football, you know, for a 60 yard touch and all that stuff. Um, he, he'll give you zeros. Guess what? It's best ball. Um, he'll give you four 20-point weeks that help you win that week and are points on the board instead of 10, seven and a half to eight and a half point weeks that maybe will give you like a little bit of floor on one or two of those. I'd much rather have those four to five to maybe even six. And who knows what he's going to be like with Patrick Mahomes on those 20-yard or 20-point games because um, we've seen him in the past. So that, that that's where I'm at, and he's already climbed three wide receiver spots in 24 hours. So he's he's going to keep he's going to keep climbing, um, and I think and I think he should. The the MVS is a perfect example of a guy I think uh, people people get take locked on because of what they've seen from him. Like the perfect example, right? He dropped drops a 60 yard touchdown. We remember that. Rogers is pissed, right? It's Monday Night Football. MVS drops an easy touchdown. Rogers. Throws the you know chin strap down is motherfucking him you know under his breath and we all see that and then he won't throw to him then because Rogers is Rogers now he's not going to throw to that guy Devonte Adams going to get the next twelve targets and and it is what it is but like 
there's a skill in earning that 60 that that yeah. that that's that, that that target and Patrick Mahomes is not going to go away from him right if he and if Patrick Mahomes, if anything he's going to go back to him more than maybe than he should because that's what he, that's how he plays look at the money they gave him like 25 million dollars like this isn't just some like scrub that they just added at the end of free agency like this is a critical piece to them that they like separated the things of what Tyreek can do and put it in multiple wide receivers and like they have built you know, wide receiver room that have different traits now. So I'm going to talk about this a lot this summer, but yeah, that is that is definitely one that I'm uh that I'm throwing out there. So any 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 other ones that have stuck out to you in the first two days? Of, yeah, I mean, Allen Robinson, where he's going, I tweeted this out. Um, he's going as wide receiver 34. If you remember what Odell did last year, he had 12 targets, eight receptions, and eight touchdowns inside the 10 yard line. Um, that was where he made the difference for the Rams because Cooper cup gets doubled or at least shaded Tyler Higby was one of like the least efficient players inside on his red zone targets in the league. And they had trouble, you know, running the ball and, and, you know, doing those quarterback sneaks with Matthew Stafford that like the difference that Odell made in playing big and small and isolated coverage near the goal line, by the way, the Rams throw almost more than anyone else other than like Tom Brady inside the goal line or inside the 10 yard line, I should say. So, Allen Robinson, I think, is going to have the most touchdowns of his career since 2015. He had 14 wow. that season, but ever since then, it's been like six or eight or zero or wherever else we are in between there. And so uh, double-digit touchdowns for for Allen Robinson that you can get at wide receiver 34. I, I don't love how he played last year. I thought he was like lethargic and slow and, and molasses and all that stuff. But um, that is the key area that the Rams are missing in their offense this year is like the guy who makes four-point plays, turning field goals into touchdowns. And uh, I think Allen Robinson has the best bet to do that in the team. Just need him to pull a James Harden uh, getting his way out of Houston. Not current James Harden because current James Harden sucks. But uh, James Harden is mad in Houston. Allen Robinson was mad in Chicago. And then all of a sudden, guess what? He gets recruited by Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to come play for the Brooklyn Nets. Allen Robinson is now with Matthew Stafford and McVay and Cooper Cup and all these guys. It's like, huh. I'm not going to be playing lethargic anymore on uh, the Super Bowl champs with the uh, with all these guys. So. Some might say uh, it can't get any worse. That's what we call the the AJ Green. Uh, <laughs> you had to get a goddamn AJ Green reference. I mean, before we got he had it. usable weeks as a round eighteen selection last year. I know. You know. I know. I know. I'm not. I'm not showing. Okay, Casey. This is how I know we've gone too long, and it's time when two, 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 two Atwell references are are coming in, and AJ Green references are coming in. But um, Josh, thank you. This was a this was a lot of fun. I got to nerd out selfishly because uh, um, I was huge into the, all the stuff that you talked about, um, and got to experience obviously that I did not. You know, I was certainly not in any draft rooms, but that was um, a huge part of of my you know growing up in in football, and I think part of what makes this whole best ball space really fun is uh, you know, I joke about it and other people joke about it. We'll talk about it plenty over the next few months with player takes and all that kind of stuff, but that's what makes it fun. If you don't have, if you don't, if you don't, you're not here to like be excited about a player, whether it's because you like him because of film or analytics or whatever, like eh, what's even the point you probably should just find another hobby. So um, this is a lot of fun for me. Um, Anything that you guys have, coming up that you want to mention before we go just again want to shout out the team over underdog pretty pretty special group we have i mentioned support awesome marketing awesome on like sizing they're great engineering side does such a good job of making it flow and 
be easy to use and all that jazz. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, the design, the design group where it brought in Luke Lovett, who I actually went to college with, and he's making all the video animations and all that type of stuff that you see, plus Katie and Kathleen on that end. So just shout out to uh, to everyone on the team, because Hayden and I get like to be the lucky ones to talk about it and kind of like be the front facing stuff. But then everyone in the back end makes it all churn and, and do really well. So we couldn't do it without them. 100% perfect way to sign it off. I will be back tomorrow. I already forget what time, but it's on the website, spikeweek.com. Media schedule is in the upper right. I'll be back tomorrow. Uh, Josh and Hayden are back tomorrow at, at some point, I believe. Three o'clock Eastern. Three o'clock NFC offenses uh, yep. from the draft. Yep. yep. Or NFC teams from, from the draft. And then I'll be back in the, the draft stream streets on Friday. That's Mondays and Fridays for me. So uh, until until next time, you probably already follow Josh. You probably already go to watch Underdog Show. But if you don't, see them tomorrow. And then I will see you guys tomorrow too. Later. Later.